Hello and welcome to the show that is only ever written and performed after three tubs of Brain Force Plus. On today's show, we're having a championship special. There's a lot of ground to cover, but we've got one of the hardest working and most knowledgeable broadcasters in the business here to help us. And she'll be joined by Matt Stanger. Matt was at Griffin Park on Saturday to witness a continuation of Leeds United's alarming collapse. What is going on over there? Indeed, what's going on everywhere in the championship? We've been gorging ourselves on videos this weekend and we'll do our best to make sense of it all. There's none of the usual stuff today. No history lessons, no travel and ticket details, no fan league and no real plan. We're just swallowing hard, holding hands and hurling ourselves into the cold embrace of infinite darkness. It's all on the Totally Football League Show. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi, welcome. It's Caroline Barker from my hometown of Chelmsford. Oh, yeah. The, the, it's not a town, it's a city now. Oh, yeah, things changed since I yeah. left. The football club was always called City. Yes. And now, of course, the town has become the city. Does that mean that the club now has to change to Chelmsford Town? No. OK, well, that's Well, good. unless we do one of those Phoenix things, but that's could not going to That very nearly did happen this really? summer. Yeah. I don't know if you're ready for that. No, I mean, not we're talking yet. about championship and we're so far off the championship at the moment. Although we have new owners and who knows, we, that we, old five-year plan. <laughs> we spoke about the uh, Essex non-league scene off-air before the show mm. and that's where it shall stay because it's very exciting. I, I think I, that's I a big miss a for there. everyone. Yeah, really. obviously we're gutted we're going to have to replace it with championship football, <laughs> but, um, but we'll have to do a podcast on that ourselves. Um, Caroline, of course, you were a director at Chelmsford City. Um, you've worked for BBC Essex, BBC London, BBC World Service and BBC Radios 2, 4 and 5. No, no Radio 3 yet? Uh, I had a little go at Radio did 3. You? Yeah, we did something on World Cup theme tunes. Nice. So I think I was on there briefly. No. Uh, but it's nothing on you lot, what, what, what is your favourite World Cup theme tune? I have many... Uh, I shouldn't perhaps get onto the subject of World Cup theme tunes because I was fortunate enough to be on Fighting Talk at the weekend uh-huh. on Five Live. And there were at least 10 emails pointing out to Colin Murray that he said the wrong year for Whitney Houston's One Moment in Time, which was actually 88 Olympics rather than I think he said, oh, I don't know what he would have must said have gone for 94. Yeah, And so from oh. that point forth, I know that I should not talk about theme tunes in any shape or form, apart from the fact I can play Howard's Way on the Ocarina. <laughs> <laughs> that is a useful skill. Yeah. Uh, we'll see where the show goes and and, and see if we can uh, fit it in. Um, listeners to this show will, of course, know you best for your co-presenting role on Channel 5's Football League tonight. Um, that must be a really hard show to work on. I always think when I watch it, it must be really difficult because you've got so much going on and like no time to prepare. Co-presenting is such a loose term, isn't it? I try and open my mouth at the right time and, and get the words out in the right way. It, it's one of those joys, isn't it? You get to sit there on a Saturday afternoon and watch every single match, or at least to try to watch every single match. So you're in a, a huge bank of screens in front of you. Um, you've got a couple of matches that you're focusing on, the, 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 the key matches that you're looking at for that day. And then someone will shout, go! And they don't shout where it is. And you're saying, is it Burton? You've just got, you know, which of the screens you're going to look at next? And trying to focus on yours too. But there is one of those real delights, I think, with, with the championship, with League One and League Two at the moment, is that there are stories happening all over the place. Not just goals, not just sendings off. We could perhaps talk about the officials and what people's thoughts are on those. Uh, I mentioned I was coming on this morning. First tweet I had was, can you talk about the standard of officials <laughs> and yeah maybe we won't get into that so it's, it's one of those real joys but for me I think it's it's shown just how expressive 
fans of the Football League are. I spent many years at BBC London covering just the Football League and, and London's such a rich vein of Football League clubs, of course. But yeah, to, to hear the thoughts of most fans on where you've got them in the running order every week, which, which <laughs> Colin bats back spectacularly well, that that is the one true joy in life. <laughs> well, talking of co-presenters, Matt Stanger. Good morning. Hello. Uh, you went to Brentford at the weekend, didn't you? I did, yeah. Saw a cracking game between did, Brentford and Leeds. But more importantly, did you go and find uh, the pubs, one pub at every corner of the stadium? I did, and I had a pint in each one, Ian. Did you? No. Very professional, upholding our standards. Did you um, not? I've, I've done that. Have you? I've done the... Well, and I don't drink beer, so that that was quite an what effort. What did you drink? Uh, I did drink oh, beer. Oh, right, gotcha. But but didn't enjoy drinking beer. But it's it's one of those stand, uh, stadiums that you go to at Griffin Park where you know it's there, you can see it on the horizon if, you, if you're looking up hard enough, but it's still just a beauty of a stadium. Yeah, I love the fact that it's nestled in behind all of the, the roads to terraced houses and everything. And yeah, it feels like a proper old stadium, but they're actually moving, aren't they, to yeah. a, a new one in 2019. So this talk, I think, of uh, building four pubs on the corner of the ground again to try and keep it yes. sort of authentic. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, you could you could kind of make them, you know, thematic. You could have a kind of lightning rod, like lager place. You could have a nice craft ale thing, maybe a little cocktail bar, maybe a little wine bar. We should, we should be an Irish bar, because London Irish are going to share the stadium. Oh, so. there you go. That's thinking ahead. Listen, we're going to have to get on with this because um, we've got a lot of stuff to cover. So let's start with the roundup, the only regular feature to survive today's cull, purely because I like the music. Play that music. Would Wolves wobble after that QPR defeat? Would they, Bobbins? They did Norwich in midweek and then they made short work of Fulham on Friday. They are two points clear now, and they're two points clear of Sheffield United, who moved to second with a thumping 4-1 win over Hull. All four goals scored by peripatetic hitman Leon Clark. And Middlesbrough, they've moved into the playoff places after their victory over the haunted, feckless fractions of men that currently make up the Sunderland first team. Matt. Adam Reach thumped in a 25-yard volley in the opening minute to set Sheffield Wednesday on the way to a 2-1 win at Aston Villa. The villains lost John Terry to a snap metatarsal in the first half and Faye could now be out for up to 12 weeks. It hurts us more than it hurts you, was Birmingham defender Harley Dean's message to Blues fans, as Steve Cottrell's side slumped to a third defeat in four matches to drop into the bottom three. And Bolton moved off the foot of the table with a 2-1 win over wobbling Norwich. First half goals from Guy Medine and Adam Armstrong secured three points for the Trotters as the Canaries suffered a third straight defeat. Bad day for Norwich, good day for Ipswich. Happy fifth anniversary to Mick McCarthy. And yes, it was very happy. They smashed Preston right up 3-0 at Portman Road. Nottingham Forest went one step further, beating QPR 4-0 at the City Ground. They're all the way up to ninth now. And Burton Albion are out of the drop zone. They scored with their only shot of the day and beat Millwall 1-0. It's now six defeats in seven games for Leeds after they were brushed aside by Brentford at Griffin Park. Goalkeepers Andy Lonergan and Daniel Bentley traded gifts to make it 1-1 before Johan Barbe and Ryan Wood snatched the points for the Bees. The mind boggles to think what Cardiff striker Omar was doing when he lunged into a late tackle on Bristol City's Marlon Pack to win a straight red card at Ashton Gate. Bogle had earlier put the Bluebirds back on level terms following Callum Dowder's opener. And it was a coupon buster at Derby where the Rams' four-game winning run came to an abrupt halt with a 4-2 defeat to Reading. Right, let's start at the top of the table, shall we, with uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Caroline, we uh, we spent most of the show a couple of weeks ago blowing smoke up Wolverhampton Wanderers' bottoms. Um, have you been similarly impressed by them? Uh, every week you see something of the spectacular with Wolves, don't you? There have been spectacular, perhaps, wobbles in that too for them. From the very start of the season, you thought, right, is this going to be one of those sides where the cold nights draw in? When I say 
you thought there was perhaps the headline writers were going with that. Can they do it on a cold <laughs> night? And they have, and they've managed to do that. Just that that one defeat in the middle of those those two wins either side. On my favourites, I have the sackrace.com. I don't know if you if you go on that. And I was having a look at it today, and just you mentioning um, Ipswich, Mick McCarthy, five years and five days has a beautiful ring to it. When you look at Wolves and, and Nuno and what he's doing there, five months, seven days to turn things around, to go in, to get everyone thinking in in your way, to bring those players in, to get them to gel. Yes, they've got brilliant fans behind them. They're going to push them forward. Yes, they've got fantastic infrastructure with the grounds and the training as well coming up to that level. So they've got everything set. But how many times before have we seen managers walk in with that, that footing and just go... Pff! And, yeah. and, and blow it out the window. Yeah. Perhaps we'll get on to Sunderland later. But you know, they, they've got everything. <laughs> they've got everything. And for him to come and do it just shows perhaps the level it's, of him. It's funny because at the beginning of the season, people saw the you know the Chinese owners, Mendes, Nuno, saw all of the links and thought, well, that's a recipe for disaster. Mm. But it's actually kind of saved them this week because in any other circumstances, with a link to Everton, you kind of expect the manager to be interested. But there's no way on God's earth he's going, is there? He's because so of tied Mendes. Up and, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. They're all tied up in this together, so there's no point. And, and he must have had some assurances when he walks in with Mendes there as, as well, that this was a part of the project and part of the the plan and, and where they wanted to be. So, yeah, why would you go? Why would you go into a potentially explosive situation elsewhere when you're on the cusp of, of going up and doing everything to go up and stay up as well, which, of course, yeah. as a manager, has got to be something that you, you look to. It's got to be the old Rafa Benitez situation, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, Matt, they, they really made short work of Fulham, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah, two carbon copy goals, and it was a pretty straightforward victory. I think, like Caroline says, the fact that he's he's gone in there and he presses method so quickly and switched that back three, which you know it's it's quite a tricky system to to get teams playing, especially if you're not familiar with that. And they put Connor Cody back in the centre defence, and they're the only team actually to uh, stop Man City scoring in ninety minutes this season with that that draw in the uh, uh, League Cup before uh, City won a penalty. That wasn't even their first choice team as well. No, it wasn't. And City had thing. Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero starting, yeah. so to keep them quite amazing. <laughs> I, do think, I do think, and it's probably probably the case with Fulham as well. I think the Wolves like playing that that type of side. They like to play a, a side that maybe is going to going to come at them too, or, or try and match them with ability wise. Which Wolves can more than stand up to that kind of those flair players and that style of football. Yeah, they're, they're very confident at the moment, aren't they? And I think, like you say, they like to be drawn out a little bit and be, yeah. be drawn into a battle. Talking of confidence, Fulham have got none. Uh, they needed five games before they got their first win of the season, but they've only won four since then, um, and they haven't won a game in five. Um, you know, we're talking about potentially explosive situations. They've got that off the pitch as well. Caroline, what's gone wrong with Fulham? I don't know, because in, in Slav we, we trust. There's a, a couple of Fulham fans that moved up to Salford when the BBC did did the move and they've they formed this kind of collective against the might of the Manchester teams around them in, in Salford and I've tried to persuade them to go and watch a non-league team up there and they're like no we're focusing on Fulham it, it will come well and he's the type of manager when you talk to him I don't know if you've been fortunate enough to, to go along and to, to meet him he gives you that that air of yeah I'd want to follow you I believe in what you're saying it's a bit Unfortunately, like the Billich situation in that he talks a good game, he engages you, he's intelligent, you feel like like he's one of those managers that can get it and can change things up. But talking to, to a couple of the, the Fulham fans and they, they just said, we don't know. We don't know what seems to be the matter. All the ingredients are there yeah. and it's just not working. 
I think he'd almost take this slow start to the season to have uh, Craig Klein leave the club, wouldn't he? Because <laughs> clear, clearly there's quite a bit of friction there and, and now it's gone in his favour. I mean, the, I think the real problem is that they could have solved all of that trouble earlier on had they just worn the sumo outfits. <laughs> yeah, that, that would have won us all over straight away. That's one of the more remarkable press strategies I've I've ever heard. Yeah, the weirdest thing about that, I think, was that Jukanovic was meant to wear the sumo outfit underneath his suit and sit in a press conference. How would it not be noticed? <laughs> Surely be dripping with sweat and twice his usual whip. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure he thought that through. And and that may not be the only thing that he failed to uh, to think through. Um just remembering a, an 18th birthday party where we all went in sumo suits and ended up on a bouncy castle stuck on our backs. A, like a, a metaphor, tortoise. if you will, for Fulham season yeah, thus far. Possibly. Um, I think they will write themselves. Yeah, they were, this is the thing. You watch them play and they're playing very well. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just not winning games. But it's a, it's a brilliant <laughs> league with fantastic teams in there. And this kind of divine right, because you're a, you're a big name who's been in the Premier League, to get back up and, and to go through it. It's just not there because there's all those other teams that are that are capable of doing it in front of you. Do you think now that now the friction's gone behind the scenes, do you think that's that's gonna, you know, ease the mood? Something was unsettling, wasn't yes. it? And yeah. We don't like a bit of friction. Um, Matt Shahid Khan, um, he's he's come in after about ten years of prosperity and stability in the Premier League and they've almost instantly been relegated and they don't seem to be coming back this season at the moment. Um, he needs us to turn around, doesn't he? Because uh, the fans are going to start turning on him soon. Yeah, probably, although his biggest focus is his NFL team, isn't it, I think? Especially <laughs> at the moment with everything that's going on over there. And, yeah, he made some bad managerial appointments. Felix McGaff, who thought he could fix a knee injury with cheese. <laughs> and uh, I'm no scientist. Thing. Let's not rule it out yet. And then they had Mitroglu. Do you remember him? They signed him for 11 million. And he went on to win the uh, Portuguese League with Benfica. I think he scored the winning goal in that title. Yeah, they never played him at Fulham, did they? No. Very odd. Very odd. Let's move to happier places. Let's move to Sheffield and Sheffield United in particular, um, who t- just for a moment looked to be in trouble, 1 0 down at home to Hull, and then all of a sudden really, really weren't. Leon Clark scoring four. I love watching Sheffield United at the moment. I think that there's a thing with Chris Wilder because of, you know, he's born and bred blade, Yorkshire man, talks about character and the group a lot. So you just, your brain makes those connections and you think, oh, well, that'll be 4-4-2, big lad, little lad up top. And it's not. It's it's this very, very fluid back three that never really looks like a back three because wherever the need is, the men are. It's all so... I, I hesitate to use the phrase total football in connection with Sheffield United, but it's definitely leaning in that direction, isn't it? And every week, you'll know this, Matt, that there's a, a Chris Wilder stat that he's broken something or something else has happened. I don't mean broken someone's elbow. <laughs> it's probably how he gets them to play. I'm going to break it. No, he doesn't do that. No, but, but he is one of those managers that, that just consistently gets it right. And again, you look at all these so-called bigger jobs that, that come up in the, the league above. I don't mean bigger as in bigger team, but, but given position where they are in in the pyramid. Uh, it is one of those things that you think, well, when's he going to get another shot at a, at a big side and who's going to take that, that trick on him next? There's talk if Sean Dyche leaves Burnley, whether he'd go in there and it's not a bigger club, is it? Um, or is it? There's a strong argument and there's no way of getting around this without me getting in all sorts of trouble. But I mean, Sheffield United are a really big club. Yeah. All the facilities and everything. Chris could be forgiven for looking at Burnley, even with Premier League stability. And, um, and and thinking, well, yeah, that's a smaller job. That's not even a sideways step. Um, and I'm sure Sheffield United fans would, 
would say that. Yeah, Absolutely. there's more Sheffield United fans than Burnley fans, so I think in this stance I'm going to be safe. I, I think you'll be all right. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Burnley can still spend £15 million on Chris Wood in the summer, so yeah. you know it's like the difference in budgets, the difference in his personal circumstances, perhaps with what his reward might be for moving up to the Premier League. What would you do? If, if it was me, I'd stay at Sheffield United. I would 100% stay at Sheffield United, yeah. Caroline? But it sounds like you don't think he will. I know. I just think that there's plenty of uh, temptation there, and it's something that he would have to consider. And I think football fans, um, you know, as much as they, they care about their team, and and that's the main thing to them. I think they have to understand why people make these career moves because we all do it in our lives, don't we? And yeah. You've been hurt in the past, haven't you? I'm not leaving I'm, in. I I'm, told you. <laughs> no, I'm thinking Shearer. Uh, that's where this is coming from, isn't it? Yeah, Shearer. well, go, going back to his home cl- club, and yeah. uh, if he'd left to Man United, I think Blackburn fans were, were taking it. Uh, a lot worse but the fact that he went to Newcastle and didn't win a single thing that was fine <laughs> you'll, you'll never love again will you that went dark <laughs> I, really I, quickly <laughs> I was just uncomfortably shifting in my seat then uh, away from you let's let's move to something else uncomfortable and um, and, and have a look at Hull um, Chris Dunleavy's piece in the Football League paper this weekend Football League paper £1.50 buy it um, it's, it's got several good excuses from Leonard Slutsky for Hull's form and then one that um um, he, he says 70% of the squad basically missed pre-season. Mm. Fine, that's a good one. Uh, we only started to gel after five matches. Fine, that's a good one. Uh, we need lots of data to scan for uh, recognising recovery time. Okay, a bit technical. That makes sense. And then I watched a lot of matches last season, but mainly at Fulham. It wasn't a good reflection because at the time, Fulham played very well and had a serious advantage. So it came as a big surprise when every team was so tough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure he's helped himself there. No, point one, to to back him up, I would say that it's great to hear from the managers and hear their reasoning behind it. But it's it's an owner-manager thing, which is never great with Hull. But you have to see what is their long-term ambition, what's their long-term plan. And this is why I always think that the board should be honest and say, right, we're going to give him, how long has he had? Four months? Just over four months? Uh, We're going to give him... The whole season, as long as we don't go down, it's fine. And the next season, we go and build to, to implement what he wants to do. But it's that point at which you look and think, yeah, he didn't need to say that at the end. Why have you you gone and shot yourself in your foot right right at the end? He has a difficult task anywhere there. And, and the fans, perhaps, when he walks in, went, who are you and what's happening? Yeah, it's, it's like he's almost angling for a, a payoff already, isn't it? Because like last week he said he'd understand if he was mm. sacked at this stage. So I, it strikes me that he's not really enjoying it. And he had a difficult recruitment process in the summer as well. You, you met him actually in, in, in the summer, didn't you? What, what did you think of him? Well, I was really surprised by these quotes because um, when we spoke, he, he had watched a lot of football and he spoke a lot about how the league was kind of distinguished by the fact that you could go on a run of six great games and then have a run of six awful games because yeah. everyone was pretty much at a level. So I'm not sure if they've just caught him in a bad mood or you know maybe some kind of second language type issue um, because it seemed to me that he'd, no one could be more prepared for the task that he'd taken I on. I don't buy that. You know as a manager, even as a player, and, and this is why I don't, I don't know why clubs don't send their players out to the Wolves more often, as it were. You know you're going to be interviewed in those situations, pre, post, this a, a proper sit down you know you're going to come up those are the sorts of questions you're going to be asked so regardless of any language barrier yeah. you know what you want to say and you should have it's that it's just that. really really out of character and completely in contrast yeah. with what he said to me in the summer but I mean I'd, I would imagine he's not particularly happy that he was warned it should be said mm. Um, the, what a, a difficult job that was going to be because of the, the ownership and the recent history. Did you get any sense of, of what he'd been told he was expected to achieve? 
and over what time? I got the sense that he wanted the challenge more than, you know, the, the, the realism. Well, he's getting the challenge now. Yeah, he certainly is, because they are only just above the relegation zone, despite having had some very good performances, um, which would make me think they're probably not going to fall all the way into the third division. Yeah, it's not all bad news for them as well. They've got Jared Bowen, who's broken through the season, and he's having a great Mm. campaign. Eight goals in 16 matches. Uh, I was looking to stats, actually. He's uh, He's got eight goals from 26 shots, whereas Harry Kane's got eight goals from 59 shots in the Premier League. So talk about accuracy there. Nice. But but the fact that he's been given the chance, again, is is another tick in his corner. Absolutely. I'd, I'd stick with him. I think he'll be... He's a, a very good manager and he probably should have started somewhere further up or at least more stable than Hull. When we come back after the break, we will be having a look at Bristol City. Who saw that coming? Listeners, you like stats and so do I. So have a bang on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone Razor don't go back to their old one. I know. Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. OK, someone help me out here. Uh, last season, Bristol City, um, not that far from relegation. Lee Johnson, the target of, uh, of serious protests from the supporters it all looked kind of done and now Bristol City are fourth and they beat Cardiff what changed over the summer well he's now become Lee Johnson (laughs) Uh, I didn't do the fan chant right but that's obviously what what's changed Bristol City Cardiff was um we all talked about it as being a marker for the season they happen every week it would seem but here's another marker for the season you've got in Neil Warnock uh, the the old Wiley manager who, who seemingly is a little bit irritated he's blaming Everyone but himself at the moment, players for getting sent off, uh, the officials for sending off the players, and you know, everything seems to have a little bit of a on it. And, and Lee Johnson with his Bristol City side, from the how many times have you mentioned the gifts already this, this season? But, but right from everywhere, the backroom staff, the, the press people involved, everyone seems to be enjoying it yeah, and enjoying the football. And I think that... that Seems well, not, to be the difference. It's not happened there much over the years, that, that level of enjoyment. No, but I, every Bristol City fan you ever meet, you tend to like. I mean, feel free to get in touch, those that you don't like. But <laughs> I don't, I, I'm trying to think now how many Bristol City fans I've met in my lifetime. But I've enjoyed each of their company. And I think maybe that's now coming across. They've it, got... It is my view, by the way, that all West Country fans are great. Every time West Country fans come to South End, that's like the, the happiest non-conflict day you'll, you'll ever get. They're all just really happy. And, and, cool. and that's how you judge the level of your football match on, on how yeah. much conflict <laughs> there is on the terraces. Yeah, yeah but, but I would agree with you. Had they ever been down to Chelmsford, I'm, I'm sure it would be the, a similar sort of thing. Give it time, give it time. You know, Lee Johnson has always been one of those, again, a good talker. Uh, talk's a good game. And, and I like to think that we're seeing that reflected now in, in what he's putting out on, on the pitch. Is it an element of surprise? I don't know. I think it's just that they're all working for one another. I think they've got those classic traits of a feel-good factor, haven't they? They've yeah. got Bobby Reed, local lad, yeah. who's having the, the season of his career. Everything he touches goes in. Yeah, they've got Aidan Flint, a goal-scoring defender, and then they know how to sign strikers, don't they? They've got Jed Judy signed in the summer, and he's already got six goals for them. So they've, yeah, they've, they've put all together all the ingredients. Is, is it true that everyone is now just trying to score from anywhere on the pitch because they all want their gift to go up? <laughs> 
<laughs> They've really gone to town, the social media team, haven't they? Yeah, Johnson uh, tweeted on Saturday night, didn't he, to, to clarify it wasn't him spinning the plates in Aidan no. Flint's gear. <laughs> <laughs> and as, as good on the road as they are at home as well. 15 points at home, 15 points away. So nicely settled. Cardiff, um, they are still unbeaten at home. But they do seem to be fading a little, the, the early pace setters. Um, they've always seemed to be a team sort of built on strength and pace more than anything else. Are they, are they regressing now to the natural position? I, th- I think they will be in the playoffs come the end. And I think they're one of those sides that you don't want to face in the playoffs. So I think that's actually could be in their, in their favour. Out of all those teams that, that you could face in there... With at the moment Cardiff, Bristol, Middlesbrough, and Villa in there. Out of those, I would see Cardiff coming through any four-way shootout between those those four teams. That's not how it's going to end the end of the season. The, the teams below that are coming up and through. But I, I just think they stick in those playoffs, they'll go up. It's a hell of an Indian summer for Neil Warnock, isn't it? Because I think most of us thought he was pretty much done. Yeah, I don't think he's going to let them fade too much, though, is, is he? I think part of the problem is Mendes Lang isn't in the form that he started the season in, scored four in his first four games, hasn't scored since, and he went off injured after seven minutes against the Bristol City. Mm. So they need to get him firing again. And if you look at like this, you know, the stats that sort of underline the style of play, they have fourth lowest possession, second lowest passing accuracy. They, they, you know, they, they play a certain style that's very pragmatic, as you expect from Neil Warnock. Like Caroline says, I think they'll have enough really to be around the playoffs at the end of the season. He wants that that um, eighth promotion, would it be? Record That's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, he, he wants that. And I think he's been in charge, start of October, he'd been in for, for over a year. And his stats are sort of phenomenal as to what he's achieved over that, that year time. And I think he probably would have gone up had that been a, a full season over that time. So, yeah, I... Neil Warnock will, will get it right. Uh, it's just at what point that the kind of grumpy turns into the successful again. All right, there we go. We're back in Cardiff for the playoffs. Let's move on to someone else who's in the playoffs, uh, Aston Villa, who actually lost at home to Sheffield Wednesday. I'll tell you what, if you want entertainment in the Midlands, you want to get down to the Glee Club, the Glee Club on Wednesday this week, where there are a handful of tickets, and I'd stress handful of tickets. Um, so if you do fancy coming and listening to some uh, football-type conversation with James Richardson, um, get down to the Glee Club on Wednesday night. Um, second best entertainment in that part of town is probably Aston Villa. Um, but that that was that was a terrible start on Saturday, wasn't it? I don't like Aston Villa. Oh. Uh, I, I, I like Aston Villa as a club now. Right. Um, I like the fans now, but I used to date an Aston Villa fan who every weekend would make me go and watch Villa when I wanted to be at Chelmsford City. And for that reason alone... <laughs> Uh, there was always a wry smile when they lost. That has gone now. I'm right. over it. Okay. Seems okay. entirely justified. I'm over it. It was justified at the time. I wanted to be in Essex and I was up watching Aston Villa. John Terry, how big a miss is he going to be now? Yes. For the for the rest of the season or however long he's done and dusted. He, he was a slow starter, another slow burner, but he just seemed to instill a bit of confidence at the back in in the last few the games, first evidence of any kind of professionalism in that um, uh, in that team for for some time, oh, wasn't well, it? He he was he was doing a job, yeah. and I just worry about how that change may affect them affect them now. And Matt, again, it's it's look at all those teams in and around there too, and and the upcoming matches. I just think Villa are going to find it find it tough to get automatic promotion. Matt, John Terry's a kind of multiplier on everyone around him. Uh, is Chris Samba? 
Well, he's brilliant at Blackburn, and he scored when he came on at the weekend uh, to almost put them back in it at the last few couple of minutes there. Yeah. Um, he, he was a he was yeah a real leader of men at Blackburn, and there were lots of games where we you know we were we were under the caution. He managed to to keep the defence in it, but I don't think he's really going to be able to do the same job at, at, at Villa because his legs have gone a bit. He's not the player he was when we had him. It'd be interesting to see though how John Terry is now used because there's talk about him being a, a leader so whether he's used off the pitch more now and whether he can maintain that that level of input that he had at Villa they're a funny team though aren't they they, they just they get into a good little groove and then they slip up inexplicably I don't think they've really been in a groove for three or four matches in a row though I remember when they beat Barnsley early in the season they completely walked all over them but Barnsley had a bit of an off day it was a bit mm. of a stinker for them at Oakwell and I don't think Aston Villa have, have showed much fluency in the way they play. The strikers haven't really been scoring. They've uh, got only four goals from recognised strikers, just one for Codger this season after he came back through his ankle injury, whereas Hurrihan and Adoma have five each. So, you know, they've been creating all of the chances there and they, they need someone, Kinney Davis has done well, but someone to step up and start banging them in. There's, uh, and there's a point in case in, in Steve Bruce, a year he's, he's been at Aston Villa now. How many times have, have there been questions over over him? I just uh, we always used to have this this conversation at boardroom level, albeit in non-league football. All right, fine. But how long do you give a manager just to to work things out, to work the club out, to work out the players that he needs to come into, to work the league out, and all of those those elements that go into whether you you get rid of a manager and. I guess that's where you go back to Sunderland, down the bottom of the, of the table. But how long you give someone just to work things out when they've been there, done it before and, and clearly got the pedigree? I tell you what, it'll get even more tricky as well with uh, John Terry sitting in the shadows. Yeah. And that, that will be raised at some point if the form doesn't get back on. But I tell you what, I can hear the screaming of Sheffield Wednesday fans in my ears going, we won, talk about us. So let's talk about them. Back-to-back wins for Wednesday. Um, a nice little run of form which has immediately followed me on the show a couple of weeks ago saying they looked miles off the kind of team that gets in the playoffs. <laughs> um, Carlos Caraval needed this, didn't he? Yeah, another one who, when you we do the show on a, a Saturday night, you put sort of Channel Five put tweets out about, oh, these are our featured teams. This is what we're doing. And when they were going through a bit of a stinker, that there were questions again about him. And I think, uh, bearing in mind that people say his name in about four different ways, he, <laughs> I will do four different ways over the course of this show. That's quite right. Notice how I'm dodging it, swerving it. <laughs> uh, hearing Colin say it is is by far the best. So don't worry about that. He gets it right every time. But it, he's he's one of those managers again that you think. Right, give them a bit of time, but what do you expect? What was the expectation from Sheffield Wednesday fans at the start of this this season? Are they meeting that? Is, is mid-table at the moment all right? Is that where they, they expected to be? Again, when you look at just the quality of sides around them. Yeah, he's he's really um, been blamed for his own success, isn't yeah. he? Because he got them into the playoffs twice and they now expect that they should be going up automatically or at least in the top three or four fighting for automatic promotion. But look, all those other teams that are now expecting that too based on, on last season, we mentioned Fulham. You know, there's a team that expected to be in the playoffs and, and going up, or at least the fans did. But such a good start here. Um, tell us about Adam Reach's goal. Yeah, it was a brilliant goal, wasn't it? Yeah, he, um, the ball just kind of dropped for him, and I'm not sure if we can call it a volley. I know Michael Cox wouldn't call it a volley because it bounced first, but I think it was a volley. You know, he hit it when he was mid-flight yeah. in, in the air, and uh, yeah, crashed it in. And what, like it's his third goal in three games for Adam Reach now, and Jordan Rose has got two and two as well, sort of taking the burden off Gary Hooper a little bit. And it's certainly when you notice the kind of the roundups, Jordan Rhodes is constantly mentioned 
too. So he's getting that that bit of space, bit of pace too about him. He's certainly getting those those crosses in. Yeah, Jordan Rhodes, uh, he, you know, he's a striker, very much plays on his confidence. Yeah. Remember that at Blackburn, and he doesn't do a great deal in the build-up play. He'll never drop deep and never really link the play that much, but he'll just be there in the box at the end to yeah. finish the chances. He, he always seems to be on the end of them. Right, Caroline, I got a text from Matt on Saturday afternoon. It read simply, Reading are winning 3-0 at Derby. How are we meant to understand this league? <laughs> um, it ended 4-2 to Reading, but he made his point eloquently. Derby are one of the weirdest teams in this division, aren't they? And yet, look where they're sat. Seventh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. You're right. I do not know how we are meant to understand this division. <laughs> They've gone on, what was it, four wins in a row? Uh, eight was this? This going to be their the eighth? I think. Go on, one of you correct me. Was this going to be their? Oh, I haven't got the page eight? up. Someone find it. Someone yeah, find four it. wins in a row. Yeah. Uh, but the, I know they've gone four previous to this. But I think it was eight they were going for. Anyway, whatever it was going to be, uh, Reading then rock up and I, <sighs> Reading again one of those sides when you look at them and you think they've got everything, they they should be doing better than than they are and they just upset Derby. This is one of our focus games at at the weekend, purely for that reason, because you'd looked at it and thought, oh, lies, lies, damn statistics. <laughs> um, and Derby, but, surely you're going to win this one. But we, we looked at Reading uh, about a month ago and they were in a terrible run of form. They were so glacially slow in possession. Mm. Um, the fans that we spoke to were saying, no, it's done, it's, it's not going to get any better. Um, but it's three wins from five now, back-to-back wins for the first time this season. Um, has it just started to click, Matt? A little bit. I think the return of John Swift's been key, hasn't it? Yeah. He um, scored twice in a 3-1 win over Nottingham Forest last Tuesday, and then he set up a Luko's goal. That was the typical sort of patient build-up play we'd seen early in the season from Reading for, for a Luko strike. And then it just had that pass from Swift to, to open it up, and a Luko's uh, bended finish was brilliant. But all the players, surely he just went through, uh, I think it was about 10 players. It was so congested in the box when he got that, that layback from, from Swift too. And he's a player that you look at, and he's playing with a smile on his face and you you just will him to do well unless you're a fan of every other club that they're going up against <laughs> but you do just want him to do well and I think there was great pressure on Stam another one of those managers that had had this spell of of pressure and how quickly we react to to that should he go or yeah get him on his on his way and it just looked like that, that there was relief all round they're yeah. um they're, sorry they're they're 18th now um which obviously isn't what was planned at the start of the season but they're now only seven points off Derby seven points off a place in the playoffs could you see them charging back up the table I still don't think they've got enough firepower in attack I mean really yeah Kurt Kermagon was top scorer <laughs> last season and fight, I just don't fight, just, yeah. fight 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 uh, Roy Beering scored at the weekend obviously but he profited from a terrible back pass from Curtis Davis and I think though that that would have been Yapstam's team talk before the game on on Saturday he would have looked at Derby's form and said look they put four wins together and they're around the playoffs now why don't we do the same because we could do that Fulham could do that Barnsley could do that. Anyone could do that as low as 18th place in the league. Right. We've got to pick up the pace now. Um, we've got loads more games to fit in, including the one that you were at, Brentford against Leeds, which uh, I watched a tape of. It was a corker, actually. Yeah, it was a brilliant game, wasn't it? Yeah, really good fun. Um, Leeds, though, uh, seven defeats in nine now? Yes, yeah, six in seven in the league. Uh, very stinky form indeed. And, and this, again, the team that we watched in the opening weeks and went, well, they're definitely going up. We'll but, just worry about who's going to come second now. But then when we did the first pod, actually, I went to see them play at Millwall and they lost 1-0. That was their first defeat. And I remember Thomas Christensen afterwards in a press conference, he looked a little bit shell-shocked and 
that's sort of lasted ever since, really. I, I bet he's shell-shocked if he's been on Twitter because, um, you know, the messages we were getting when we started this show were very much, hey, Leeds are back. Mm. And now, already, it's we've got to get rid of him. Uh, it's gone. He doesn't know what he's doing. Now, granted, social media does tend to amplify, you know, the, the loudest voices, um, but this is a really worrying run for them. You say it does amplify the, the loudest voices. When we're looking at sort of the key games at the weekend, and Leeds have featured in a, a couple of them, you go on both clubs' social media to see how they've described a, a goal. You read their match reports as well, and of course you've you've watched it too. But the Leeds fans, it, it feels like there's been a, a growing bubble, a murmur, now a bubble as well. And you're right, very much at the start of the season, they're like... Thomas Christensen, no, we're proving ourselves. He's doing really well. All you haters are in your face. But how quickly it's it's turned. I mean, let's be honest. If Chilino was still there, he'd be toast now, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, well, he would. Yeah, I'm not even joking. No, no. Be gone. I, I was trying to find the humour in that, but I think <laughs> I think you're right, and and perhaps justifiably so. Had he never walked in in the first place, Leeds fans uh, would be saying. But again, just such a big club with, you would argue, such should have such great resources, have plucked this manager out and, and we thought he was going to do well. We thought he was going to go in and be another silver and, and take things forward. Matt, is it a confidence thing? Because earlier in the season, I mean, the, their game was built on defending very well and then springing out into the counter-attack. They've got lots of technical players in the final third. So it was all on-the-hoof football, you know, free-flowing, one-touch kind of stuff. But once the confidence goes, it's very, very hard to, um, to get that back, isn't it, that style of football? I don't think it is the confidence, to be honest. I think they have some confident players in there, and they've got mm. some young players as well. Samuel Saiz, very talented forward that they signed in the summer. Uh, Ronaldo Vieira played really well in centre midfield the other day, had a couple of efforts from distance. That was probably Leeds' best chances, aside from the goal which uh, Bentley gifted to them. But I, I think it's a lack of a game plan, really, and I, I know it's quite a, a big criticism to level at Christiansen, but they have Lasaga up front. He had nine touches in the first half. That says to me that you're not using the big lump that you've got in centre-forward as the target man that he's, he's built to be. Mm. And he, he came off at half-time, actually. He played the fewest crosses in the league per game, so they don't get balls into the box to him either. They look better with Kamar Roof almost as a false nine in the second half, and the movement complemented the likes of Saiz and Pablo Hernandez, who came on as well. Uh, let's have a word for Brentford, um, because uh, there are people there who listen to the show, so hello to them. Um, Brentford are doing very, very well. I worried that they might be in a relegation battle after the start they had, whether they might be, you know, because they, they've been batting so far above their average for, for so long. But hey, look at them up there in 12th. What's happened? I, whether you, because you, so this was the match you were at, right? Uh, having spoken about all the pubs on every corner, clearly you were there, unless you just stayed in the pub. Matt probably did. Uh, <gasps> I, uh, <laughs> but fair point. Yeah, yeah fair point made. For, for Brentford, for me, have always been one of those teams that I always thought I'd go and watch a game, which sounds ridiculous. But but every time, I, maybe I got seen twice in real life last season. But I always thought I'm going to be entertained when I go and see them. And of course, that's, that's going to go one of two ways, isn't it? Spectacularly well. And you walk out of the ground thinking, that was the best since we've ever seen. and, and Or it's going to, to fail miserably. And I just think this season, Brentford are tipping on the, the spectacularly well side as opposed to the failing failing miserably. And against Leeds, I think you're right. It was down to just where was the plan B coming from? And and you mentioned size, a name that we said so many times at the start of the season. Roof, how many people were singing the roofs on fire constantly in, in an annoying way at the start of the season <laughs> too. So those names have dropped off. And Brentford maybe beating the teams that they're going up against who have 
form against them too and winning those those games which which they should win in respect of the form. Well, Brentford certainly using the margins. They're, they're scouting. Um, network is is extraordinary. I believe they'd also isolated uh, Leeds' own Alioski, um, but but weren't able obviously to beat Leeds to the punch on that and set pieces. Of course, let's not talk about penalties for Brentford um, because they missed one of those. Um, how many gorgeous short corners were there this weekend? There were quite a few. Yeah, yeah. they've got oh, that I love them. left back Barbe's delivery is just spectacular. He scored the goal obviously, and then I saw him score that free kick against Bolton early in the season when he won three 0 there and. Yeah, he's got a sweet strike on him. But to lose the quality of players that they lost at the start of the season and, and the quality, particularly to Birmingham, to, to have gone and to replace them and still be there is, is testament, really, as you were saying, to, to those that they've got around the club bringing others in. Yeah, and then they beat Birmingham the yeah. other week as well. I, I think we should uh, just mention as well, Ryan Woods, his performance at the weekend was absolutely outstanding. They signed mm. him from Shrewsbury for about a million pounds and that underlines their scouting network there to spot a player of his talent and he, he'll end up in a Premier League, no doubt about it. Okay, lots of love for Brentford. Let's go to Ipswich, who smashed Preston all over the place. These are two teams whose early season form has dropped off significantly. Four defeats on the spin for Preston now. Uh, They haven't won since September the 26th. Honeymoon over for Alex Neal then? Well, if he has got a defender to throw something at, was it six out or something ridiculous at the the weekend? The injuries that, that Preston have suffered... As, as done for Alex Neil, so I've got a great deal of sympathy for him in, in what he's had to... I know that's why you're a manager and you've got to deal with it, but oh, they've no. had a rotten run of luck over, over injuries. Yeah, and uh, Bialkowski, how you say the Ipswich goalkeeper's name, he uh, made some brilliant saves at the weekend as well. So they, they were in that game, and they were in the defeat to Wolves when they lost 3-2. They lost 3-2 against Brentford, who've been in form and beaten in nine. So they have been competitive still, despite that run. Okay, so there's no reason for Simon Grayson to be sitting there thinking, I could get it back. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely not. Let's talk about Mick McCarthy. Um, Fifth longest serving football league manager now. Uh, As we said, he just celebrated his fifth anniversary. Not hugely popular with the Ipswich fans, though, Matt. No, and it all came to a head the other week, didn't it? Over Bursant Salina, not being in starting 11, he scored that free kick against Burton in the victory there, and Tory shirt off threw it in the in the stand and then had to ask it back because the game hadn't finished yet. <laughs> I know you've spoken about his Mick McCarthy's response to the fans wanting on the pitch before but it just shows what a delight it is to have him in football management Mick McCarthy maybe if you might not want him at your club but but to have him there and to say no I'm the manager I make decisions he's on the pitch and whatever you say will turn me the other way he, he is great um, uh, and he's also great value on the Football Manager Files a Muddy Knees media produced series of podcasts going behind the scenes of football management yeah get all over that that's on uh, iTunes and all the so you need him places. to stay in his job then well <laughs> thing is we had a we spoke to about 13 managers and I think he's the only one still in a job most of them went within about two weeks of us talking to them Chris Powell within about 24 hours of us talking to. He'll be back. Yeah, oh God, of course he'll be back. You can't keep him down. Um, Ipswich in general though, uh, it should be recognised, massive, massive debts there. Forced to live very much within their means. Um, They're a local club and a league of sugar daddies um, and their daddy is kind of sugar free Mm. now, isn't he? It, It did invest quite a lot not investing that much now. I've stretched this metaphor way too far, but what can you do with it? Well, I was just going to reach for a jelly baby at that point, but I thought that, <laughs> that might be slightly cruel. Yeah, of course. And again, it's about communication from a board level, isn't it? About what means you have to live 
within how well the manager is doing on those those means and we are spoiled rottenness fans aren't we and of course we want to chase a little bit of a dream a bit more but if you just communicate that you've not got as much as everyone else and you are doing relatively well compared to, to what you've got in comparison to others then I think fans sometimes understand that a bit more they are over a hundred million pounds in debt and uh, with that in mind maybe seventh is it's actually quite good. We will continue this roundup after the break, and uh, we're starting with Sunderland, so brace yourself. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh, and this week there's no fan league because of the international fixtures. But that's a good opportunity for you to download it. It's kind of like the football pools. You just get a little slip, 13 games, about six or seven of Premier League, about six or seven of the Football League, and then you just say home win, away win, or draw. And that's it. It only costs 20p for a line. And if you get more than 10 right, which I haven't done yet, you'll win some money. So have a look. It's Fan League on the App Store. And you can join the Totally Football League League. Just find me, Ian McIntosh, and then make a request to join. I'll accept you straight away, because I've always liked you. Right, with deepest apologies to Middlesbrough fans, uh, let's get you lot out of the way so we can slow down and look at the car crash. Um, we were a bit worried about Gary Monk's side, weren't really living up to expectations, but that's three wins on the spin, Matt. Yeah, they're doing a lot better now. Brilliant, thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried to get them out of the way. So. <laughs> uh, eight goals for Britt Asambolonga, <laughs> that makes him joint third highest goal scorer. Uh, that's, that's kind of just within expectations for that fee, isn't it? And I can legitimately get in Chelsea City now because we've just uh, signed Chris Asambolonga <gasps> and they all scored in the same weekend uh, last week or the week before, oh, nice. whenever it was. And so, so Chris was, um, was tweeting about Britt and just saying how brilliantly he's doing too. And having had a, a quick word with them, just, again, one of those real infectious people, as in so much as makes you smile, right. as opposed to <laughs> giving me flu, uh, which apparently you have. Uh, so, yeah, he's. He, I'm pleased for him, and I think he'll be one of the, the key reasons that they'll do well, and I think, I think they'll... I've got Cardiff going up via the playoffs, so um, they'd have to sneak one of those automatics, wouldn't they? Middlesbrough, not entirely sure if they will. Okay, well, I, I promise you, Middlesbrough fans, we will come back and do you in detail later, but um, but time for Sunderland. Um, last week, Michael Cox was in the office after the main show trying to do some work, and the poor man couldn't get anything done because I was watching the Bolton-Sunderland tape and just screaming, oh, my God, oh, my God, look at this, Coxie, look at this, they're so bad. There was one moment that just sort of summed up everything at the club um, Mark Little the Bolton right back who was very impressive at the weekend by the way um, he burst into the Sunderland area there was this mass of Sunderland shirts actually somehow you know did their job and got the ball <laughs> off him and you looked at it and you thought right that's a Bolton right back who's all the way up the pitch his run supported by four or five other Bolton players there must be gaps all over the place this is it this is the moment of transition the, the moment that Pep Guardiola lives for the moment when your team goes bang into the space and we wrestle this game back yeah. and they just stood still honest to God they all just sort of stood still and looked at each other with the ball in their own penalty area and you're screaming at the screen thinking this cannot be a second flight professional football team the majority of those players having played Premier League football the season before they were absolutely appalling I don't think I've ever seen a worse team and again I remind everyone here I'm a South End fan I've seen bad stuff <laughs> frightened rabbits the 
the South End mentioned there, I know that a certain Phil Brown has been has been linked, hasn't he, to this this job? Said it would be a dream job for him. But what I found interesting this week was was Nathan Jones, the Luton boss, being one of those outsiders being tipped to, to go to Sunderland. He perhaps would be the kind of manager that they need. But what they need is just a manager that they stick with. It's uh, to have that instability to not have to know not know as a player who you're coming into training next week and who's going to be there lining you up must be unsettling and no wonder when they're in a situation like that they're going what do we do i just what do I, we do? I, i'm now at a point where i I'm, I'm starting to think maybe peter reed because a it can't get any worse mm. and b is it is it now at a point where they're just in pieces they've just forgotten what they're supposed to be doing for a living and you need someone to come in shout them cuddle them take them out for a pint try and get some kind of team ethic going because yeah. they are as broken as I've ever seen a football team. And Grayson's as good a manager that they could get. Yeah, really. yeah. I mean, he, he was a shrewd it's, it's It's definitely not a manager thing. It can't be blamed on the individuals. They've no. had seven permanent managers since the start of the 2012-13 season and a 20% win ratio since then. So you know, it's a succession of managers that, ha- that haven't worked, which suggests there's a culture at the club where there's something wrong. Yeah, and, and you're looking at other names listed with it, uh, uh, Paul Hurst, uh, who's done so well at Shrewsbury. But you think, you know, you walk a young, um, or youngish, idealistic manager who who has very firm beliefs about team ethic and hard work and getting everyone together. And on paper, it's a great idea. And in reality, it's a guy who was in non-league not long ago, walking into a dressing room of people earning fifty, sixty thousand pound a week, and you mm. wonder if they'd even listen. And yet, have just taken fifty percent wage cuts on that as well. Which yeah. You wonder whether that's been a factor in in their form this season. Yeah, I'd. I'd Right now, I'd give it to Peter Reid. Well, at least Peter Reid, you would hope, knows what he's walking into. Yeah. And any other manager that, that we've just mentioned from, from Nathan and, and Paul as well. Yeah, great managers. But what they're walking into and what assurances they're given and whether those assurances are then followed through is an, another matter entirely. Whereas Peter Reid, you think, not that he'd treat it as a bit of a jolly, because he wouldn't, because it's a club that he clearly, clearly loves but at least he knows it's pretty obvious and, and whether he has that conversation or not, he's in it for that, for that length of time and he'll do the best that he can for that, for that moment. It's not kind of make or break for his career, is it? Right. Well, let's hope that he does because I want to see the behind the scenes documentary of that. <laughs> Having enjoyed the last one so much. Right. We've got to rattle on. We're running out of time. Let's move to Nottingham Forest QPR. Nottingham Forest 4-0 winners here. Uh, comedian and host of the new Reservoir Red Dogs podcast, Matt Ford, who was last spotted winning the hearts and minds of Man United fans on the Totally Football Show. Uh, he said of, uh, of Forest this weekend... I've always felt lucky to be a Forest fan, as we're a special club. We've had some awful times, but this is the most positive it's been in years. Is that true? We had uh, the brilliant Max come in from Match Day with Max. Have you seen? He's the young guy that records all these YouTube videos and has become a bit of a sensation. The club let him go in and he, he came over to Channel 5 to sit with us too. And he was just bouncing off the walls. It might have been all the sugar that I gave him. <laughs> but he, he, was, he was saying that everyone's approachable, the players wanted to talk to him. And this might sound a bit daft, but you've got a, a kid essentially coming in and doing these these interviews, brilliant interviews, but they've opened up the whole club to him. And that just seems the ethos that Mark Warburton's taken into that side is, is think, just being very open and, and, and actually very communicative with the fans and, and letting them enjoy the ride and be part of it. The mood certainly seems to have changed. Matt, you fraternise with a lot of Nottingham Forest fans. Um yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're really excited about the way they've been playing and they've got some good young players, yeah. 
coming through as well. Uh, Byron McKay, what signing he's been from Rangers, where Warburton worked with him previously. So a great start at the weekend from your Football on Five stats man, Christian. Yeah. Um, was it Tyler Walker scored more goals for Forest against QPR, got a brace on Saturday, than his dad, Des, scored in 408 appearances for the club. Nice. Christian is like subtitles. So again, we've got this bank of 12 TV screens in front of us and every so often he'll just come out, you just hear a stat come out of him, which is completely random. And then he tweets it, of course. He tests it on us first, whether we all enjoy the stat. And then that's whether he takes it out to his wider audience on Twitter. But he's well worth a follow. Um, and, and that also helps with the, the feel-good factor as well. Like the, the son of a legend coming into the team. It would feel like, you know, that's one of yours. Um, but, uh, but what of QPR? Um, they, they beat Wolves and they beat Sheffield United. No one saw that coming. And then they go and get gubbed by Forrest. I want Ollie to do well. Course, everyone does. He's lovely. But it's, it's, it's still my favourite quote of all time, which I don't think I can repeat now. Um, I won't. But anyway, look up Ian Holloway quotes and it'll be one of those amongst the... Is it about mating season? I'm, I'm not or... saying anything about anything. Uh, <laughs> but he... Again, you treat as you find, right? So you, uh, I spent maybe... I was supposed to do a 10-minute interview with him and about three and a half hours later, <laughs> I was still chatting to him. And he's done the old bring in legends at the club. Um, uh, Fernandez, uh, who's been doing the circuit recently, I don't know if you've heard that the QPR owner has been doing quite a few long, lengthy interviews and he talks about bringing Ollie back and what he thought it would mean and whether financially they have enough cash to, to bobble around. And he'll get things right. I would like to think at Queen's Park Rangers, another of those clubs that, that you want to do well. Grafters. True story. Um, 12 years ago, I produced a big budget podcast with Ian Holloway and Barry Fry, hosted by Diane Stewart of Sky Sports News. And, uh, Did she get a word in edgeways with those two? <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was like a half football chat, half um, uh, game show. And uh, we couldn't get anyone interested because at that point, no one thought podcasts were a real thing. Um, but it was brilliant. One of the great undiscovered things. Have you still uh, got the recording? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to try and now. dig it out. It's really... Like, I'm not just saying it because I was involved in it, but it's really good. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm still upset that no one went for it. Uh, let's rush on. Time's running out. Bolton against Norwich. Bolton. Most people have Bolton to be relegated back in September. Matt, they're unbeaten in five. And due to some weird quirk of circumstance, we've watched almost all of those games. Yeah, you asked me if they could get out of it last week and I said no and then they go and beat Norwich uh, to, to go and beat in five. So definitely picking up form and, uh, you know, Adam Armstrong scored a weekend, Gary Medine getting a few goals in the team as well now. Uh, Norwich haven't got over that Arsenal game at all. They beat Ipswich, they nearly beat the Gunners and since that lad from the youth team did them in extra time, they've lost three on the spin. Uh, the first international break of the season, Daniel Fark sorted them right out. Um, he needs this international break again, doesn't he? He does. I don't think they score enough goals. That's the, the main problem, isn't no. it? Cameron Jerome's got one in 13 matches. Nelson Oliveira, who's been in and out of the team a little bit, he, he's got five. And there was that uh, celebration on the opening day of the season where he ran over to make his point to Daniel Fark after not being selected in the first 11. It's almost like he was preempting his troubles for the rest of the season. Right. Producer Ben is scrolling one line on each game oh. on my screen as the time runs out. Um, Barnsley against Birmingham. Um, great win for Barnsley. 
um, rising back up the table. They've lost so much talent there. Alfie Mawson, Connor Horahan, and the list goes on. But they keep plugging away, don't they? Yeah, I kept my powder dry on this one, but I think Paul Heckingbottom's probably the best shot for Sunderland. Ooh. Because they need the manager that can work with young players, and they've got the youngest squad in the division. The, starting, the average age of the starting 11 against Birmingham was only 23, and that's what Sunderland needs, someone who can bring players through from their youth setup. I'm running on to the end of his one line uh, and saying, <laughs> why, why would he go to Sunderland? Again, maybe it's all the, the arguments that we had previously before, but he seems to be doing the job there. That noise, dear listener, you can hear in the background as well as all the Barnsley listeners screaming at once. Um, <laughs> Steve Cotterill had two good days at Birmingham. Uh, first was when he decided to sit out Holloway, thus avoiding association with a 6-1 defeat. The next was to beat Cardiff in his first game, but he hasn't won since. And Jamie Redknapp was saying this weekend um, that, that Cotterill will now know what a hard job this is. But it shouldn't be that hard, should it? Because Redknapp Senior spent about fifteen million on Brentford. <laughs> well, that's the Birmingham are kind of like you know when you go to a train station and you can smell the Cornish pasties and you can see the Cornish pasties and you think, oh, they'll be great Cornish pasties, and then you go and eat one and it's kind of like overpriced, uh, a bit dried up, shriveled, and, and gives you plenty of repeat. I think I think perhaps sometimes that's been Birmingham this season, but I need them to improve because the uh, producer of Channel 5's programme is a Birmingham fan and we have a stinker, an absolute stinker in the office if they don't win. <laughs> Greatest Birmingham metaphor uh, ever heard on air. Uh, <laughs> finally, Millwall against Burton. Millwall are a weird club because they win the games you'd expect them to lose mm. and lose the ones you'd expect them to win. Primarily Burton at home, which they managed to lose even though Burton only had one shot. Um do we need to worry about Millwall or they're just going to sort of plug away and be fine? Well, straight back to what was brought up at the start of the show and refereeing decisions. That was a poor one to send yeah. Jed Wallace off at the weekend. Awful. And yeah. I think they probably would have gone on and maybe snatched a win there if, if he hadn't gone. So. I thought Neil Harris was very decent about that decision yeah. in that he didn't kick tables around afterwards. Um, Nigel Clough, another one who might get linked to Sunderland. How long is he going to stick around with Burton? Well, despite, as you say, the awful refereeing decision at the weekend. Did you say awful? I just dropped awful in there I'm happy for Burton that they they got a, a win again a, a good club that do things right and I want to see them stay up so so cling on to those three points anytime that they can that is all we've got time for in fact that's about five minutes more than we've got time for if you want to get in touch get in touch on our Twitter it's at the totally show and on Facebook at the totally football show uh, let us know where you want us to send Matt as well because we haven't decided yet we always wait for your input um, thank you so much for coming in Caroline Barker you've been brilliant we're taking over ten minutes over what you're supposed to do <laughs> but it's all good stuff it's is all good it? content is it I blooming love the championship but I also love League one and two so if you want to do an extra hour and a half we'll get you back in no just now Talk oh about right the FA Cup. <laughs> producer ben will explode I know you'll watch the fa cup <laughs> <laughs> how dare you matt stanger thank you so much you've been brilliant too and i really mean that oh it's the first time you've ever said that. i know it's just because you're feeling poorly and thank you dear listener for coming along uh, remember to subscribe and review and i'll see you next tuesday The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com.